You can talk to you about it now. What questions oh. do you have? <laughs> let's, let's flip it. <laughs> um, well, I have been getting into video. And so, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, this is, I get really excited about tools. I think Me that's too. what it is. So I like Just gadgets and stuff. Gadgets and, and tools. And that's yeah. my problem. That's where I spent all my money. So, well, I wanted to <laughs> ask you about the. So you just released a video that was like a 31 year retrospective uh, yeah. of your life and career, <laughs> which I think are. <laughs> the overlap is like almost complete in that Venn diagram. It's just your life and your career, right? Because yeah. you just turned 31, I'm assuming. I did. I did. And yeah, just a week or so ago. Yeah. Yeah. My cool. birthday's tomorrow. Oh my which God. Will be, happy birthday. Thank you. It'll be yesterday <laughs> when this comes out on Thursday. But I'm kind of obsessed with the idea of like overnight successes, you know, in Hollywood and entertainment and, and creative fields. Like everyone, they, I love this romantic idea of like the overnight success. Mm. But when you get down to it, it really takes like 10 years to become an overnight success. And all yeah. that 10 years of like groundwork and um, getting ready and building your career, no one pays attention to that. They see when yep. you're like on the Oscar nominated film or like, you know, your dress is featured in some magazines, you know, they don't want to know about all the work it took to get to that point because they want they want to maintain the idea that it's possible to just like fall into success. Right, right. And I think your that video you released on Instagram, which I'll share, is just it's it starts with day one like of your life and i think that's i know i such, should have had my mom in the ER. yeah like a pregnant belly <laughs> no. but i think that's such a beautiful reminder that like you've been at this for a long time you're still young and you have like Aww, you have an amazing career you. so far but it's been 31 years or 30 yeah. years of you know of effort right right and i still feel like i'm I still feel pretty far from the bigger goals I want to achieve. But yeah, um, the overnight success myth is, I think it's really damaging for a lot of people. I think that, you know, if people buy into that, it's really easy for them to start to look down on themselves and think, yeah. oh, like, I'm just, I just don't have it. I don't have what it takes. But I've, I think my whole life, I've always been really against that. Like, I've always believed in the potential of people, you know, mm -hmm. I've always believed that, I, I don't think I'm special. I think that there are things that were lucky that happened for me. I think that luck is sometimes a part of it. It's like a mixture of luck and hard work, right? Um, sure. But, um, you know, like I think things that I feel really fortunate for was my my family. I don't know. I don't know how this happened, but uh, they were always really supportive. In yeah. a, and I remember growing up and talking to my friends and hearing that they didn't receive that you know they had a lot of guardians that weren't as supportive and would tell them you know in a very loving way like they be practical and you know i'm i'm from a working class family mm -hmm. my friends are also from working class families and so i think that you know a lot of my friends also have immigrant parents and i think that there is this need to make sure their kids survive you know they just want to look out for their kids but it's at this i don't know it's it's tricky because sometimes it's at a cost of what they really want to do to fulfill their human potential. Yeah. And I had some relatives. I did. I had some relatives who were like, hey, Michelle, you know, give me a little call. I'm like, yeah. hi, Michelle. Um, hey, so I know you really love art and everything, but maybe you should pursue this first and then you can get into art, you know, after, you know, you've, you've been X, Y, and Z for 20 years. And they're really just looking out for your well-being in terms of like yeah. living, you know, right. like earning an existence, which is an interesting thing because, you know, I come from, my both my parents are doctors, yeah. but their parents were both, you know, fairly working, working class. Yeah. And I think there's this sort of evolution of through the generations, like there needs to be this success 
success achieved, mm. which then allows you this luxury of like maybe being creative mm. in a way that's not that like you're taking care of. Like I was, you know, cut off when I was 18 for the most part financially. Yeah. But like there is like mm-hmm. this, you know, evolution of like this balance between, you know, wanting to be successful in the world just as a human being, but then also this room to play. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. you kind of like get this. And it's really nice that your family and your, your uh, supporters gave you that that cushion to say like no go explore go play yeah. but they could have said well like no you need to go become a doctor yeah. and then like you know you can have your hobby on the side right because it, yeah I, I mean oh sorry not to cut no, you go off, ahead. yeah no um i mean things have been it's it's rough it is very rough i think that things would have been a lot easier for me if i went the route that my relatives were recommending um because art is, it's hard. It's hard so, if you don't have like a windfall of money, you know, a nice cushy trust fund. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's very hard to do creative stuff because it takes a while to first even find your style. And then it takes a while to even build credibility so that people are like, yeah, okay, I like your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, like you said, it's not an overnight thing. So yeah, like I think it would have been a lot easier had I gone that route. But I think that, so a lot of that support that I was getting, I felt like, I don't know. I felt like I had a pull of it. And I really believed like the way my my family and many of my relatives were believing in me. I wanted to give that to other people. Like I remember this is a story I've told a few times in different in different little um, interviews. But when I was really little, I remember feeling really alone because I I love drawing. Right. I was drawing Mm -hmm. all the time. I was always making stuff and I would do that on the playground. I definitely was a loner by choice yeah (laughs) i would just be by myself making things and you know kids would come up to me and be like oh wow that's so cool like how'd you do that and i would just turn around and immediately say let me show you let me show you because i just i knew i i knew even at that age i was like i remember what i did to get here this wasn't this isn't like i didn't i wasn't born (laughs) i wasn't born drawing Mm -hmm. and i was so excited that other people were excited that i wanted to share that and i wanted them to feel the same joy that i felt making those things but often which was really strange for me was i was often met with oh i can't do that and these are kids this is like you know when i was six or seven yeah and even as i got older i still noticed that pattern of like when i would tell people you can do this you can do this they often said, no, no, I can't draw like that. Well, that's so interesting. So the first official question of this podcast is, what were you up to when you were seven years old? So I think you just <laughs> answered it, which is great. Thank you for that. <laughs> but I think that's so interesting that you had that awareness of like how you, even at that such a young age, like you knew how you attained these skills that they weren't just some innate talent in you. Because I was very similar to you, very creative, always drawing, always had a stack of paper and markers. Oh my gosh, and I'd be in yes. front of the TV watching Nickelodeon just drawing <laughs> or making weird stuff with cardboard and tape. Yes. And like, that was just I all guess. I did. <laughs> but I think at that age, I probably thought I was just a, like the talented artist kid. Like mm-hmm. I was the kid who could draw and people would be like, will you draw me this picture? Like, you know, they'd be like, well, sign it. It's going to be worth something someday. Oh, yeah. But I, <laughs> I don't wild. think I had the awareness that like yes. I was good at art and creative things because I just did it all the time Mm -hmm. and I didn't come out of the womb with like talent I just slowly chipped away at it and progressed but it's really interesting that you had that perspective that sort of meta perspective at such a young age (laughs) and that you were generous enough to want to share it and not be like well I'm because you said earlier I'm not special Mm. which I think there's a really cool distinction between special and unique everyone's unique but to think you're special is a trap Right. I like that. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I, I mean, I wonder maybe the fact that you had such supportive family and such supportive people in your life 
you didn't have this scarcity mentality of like it's my talent, it's my skill. You can't have it. You can't share it. I have to be the one who's good at drawing. You wanted to give it away, there, which it is might, so beautiful. I, it might be that, yeah. Like it was sort of just freely given to me. I mean, I didn't get the windfall of money, but I did get a windfall of just, you know, I, I visit my my auntie, my auntie and my uncle's house when I was little, and they were just always like, oh my my star, my my sweet baby, oh my talented you know they treated me like i was their daughter too and yeah and and then my parents you know my dad would always tell me never give up on your art and this is another this is another story i often tell because it really did have a big impact on me but it's really sad what happened to my dad um when he was younger but what happened to him influenced how he wanted to raise me and so basically when he was really young when he was maybe six years old he was drawing something. He was telling me, oh, I was drawing this picture of a horse. He was like six years old, right? He was drawing a picture, of, like just he was just drawing something. I think he was looking at a book and trying to replicate it. Mm-hmm. His teacher came around to him and she was like, stop copying. You're not supposed to copy. Uh. And he was like, oh, like, no, I, I mean, he, she thought he was tracing. Like she thought he was putting the paper over and tracing because maybe yeah. this was the assignment. And she was like, stop copying. And he was like, no, I'm not. And she was like, yes, you are. And I guess they had this little fight. And my dad said at that point, he just felt like, well, what's the point of doing this? Like, you know, I, I'm I'm trying my best here and someone doesn't believe me or, you know, I'm whatever I'm doing. I'm doing something wrong. I mean, he's re- you're really young at that age. Very but you're so impressionable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so he said he just he quit after that. He just didn't want to draw that was such a yeah awful experience he stopped wanting to draw but as he got older he looked back on that event and really regretted it and wished he had continued and he remembered it for the rest of his life like that those little things you know a hundred people could have said like wow that's a really good horse that's really but he remembers the one person saying don't do that yeah especially at that age yeah Yeah, when you're you know the authority figures in your life are everything and it's interesting too because you know I, i mentioned being lucky there are moments I still remember even where authority figures were about to shut me down. Mm-hmm. And so this is this is an interesting story. So uh, at my school, we I was so sad. We would only get an art teacher to come by like once a year. I was, what? I know. <laughs> I, that's, that's public school. So yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was really sad, but so excited when the art teacher came around. Like every year, you know, second grade, third grade, fourth grade. I was like, where's this art teacher? Where's the one day? My day, yeah. <laughs> yeah, where's Christmas? Um, so... <laughs> Uh, the art teacher came by and um, we were learning how to draw portraits. And by that age, I think I was probably in third grade or so, I had my own style. I wasn't mm-hmm. drawing photorealistic portraits or anything, but sure. I was trying. I was, I was working towards that. And we got to this part where she was like, this is how you're going to draw an ear. And so the way she was showing us how to draw an ear was like, you know, you draw an upside down number six or something. Or was it a regular? I can't remember that part. Yeah. So you draw number six or number nine or something. And... I didn't do that. Like, I remember thinking, no, I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm going to try and draw all the little lines in the ear. And so I was ignoring her willingly. (laughs) I was doing my own thing. But she had an assistant with her that day. And so the assistant, you know, much younger than the art teacher, was coming around, checking on everyone, making sure they were listening to the teacher. I wasn't. Mm -hmm. And I knew I wasn't. And she came up and I could feel her behind me. I was like, oh, fuck. Like, she yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know the F word. Third grade. But um, yes, in my own third grade brain, I was like, oh, shit. And so she, I can feel her behind me looking over my shoulder like, oh, my God, I'm in trouble. And I could hear her just about to reprimand me. This younger assistant, mm-hmm. she was like, 
oh, you're not. And then the art teacher came up, swooped in right behind her and stopped her. She's like, no, no, just let her do what she wants. That's great. And I, it's funny that I remembered that probably because I was terrified that I was going to get in trouble. I didn't like getting in trouble, (laughs) even though I was doing things I wasn't supposed to be doing. But I remembered that my whole life. I was like, oh my gosh, I got so close to just... I don't know. Again, that could have affected you in such a negative way. It could have. It know? really could have. It could have been that moment where it's like, oh, got to stay within the lines, or mm-hmm. else you're gonna you're gonna get in trouble. But that art teacher, bless her, was yeah. She I don't know. She I think she realized that that's not what I don't know. That's not what creativity is about. Well, I think she probably saw in you that you know there is something to be said. I think it's like Picasso who said. Uh, learn the rules like a professional so you can break them like an artist. Like you need to learn how to draw within the lines and get the foundational skills. Then you can go out and play with the, you know, the style and find your own style. Maybe that teacher sort of intuited at that. She's like, this girl knows how to draw an ear the way I do it. Mm -hmm. She's like, she's past that. She's like experimenting let her play because that's important for her evolution. These other kids, you know, who don't know which hand they're supposed to hold the pen in. Like I'll worry about them. (laughs) Um, And that's beautiful because I had a situation in college. I took, a writing class my freshman year and I was thinking about being a creative writing major I love to read and I thought that was maybe a path I'd want to take and we were supposed to write a profile of one of our classmates and I read it to the class as we all took our turns and I sort of set it down and this kid next to me was like wow you're a great writer and the teacher just goes no you can't say that oh. and I, it was something about like I don't know what her angle was. It was something about like critique and how you should, you know, not use words like great, but it oh, just like shut geez. me down. Oh my god! And I, all the classes I had planned for after that didn't happen because at that one moment got in my way, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Um, it took me a long time before I regained the courage to write. So yeah, Damn. those moments can be so, so important. And like, think if, if you were in third grade and you had gotten that sort of inclination to pull back and retreat from your, what you wanted to do, like, you would have missed out on all that learning of your youth that's so important to where you are now. Right. Like there's these voices that would they would be in your mind. Like these voices, like I don't know, like that teacher is saying you can't have that, you can't do that. Which is just oh my gosh. So nitpicky. It's like so what's the nitpicky. purpose and, you of know, that? What is that? <laughs> Come on. There's other ways to She was a very uh, crotchety old professor <laughs> and her like greatest claim to fame was that she lived next door to JD Salinger. Okay. But like <laughs> She's not JD. You know, I could I could pick her pres- apart psychologically, but <laughs> it affected me, and it you know it got in the way for a long time. Yeah. And I like I remember the feeling of just like being shut down. Yeah. And you know, at the same time, like you know, you talk about having all this support. You know, that can be really beneficial. It allows mm-hmm. you the freedom to pursue your dream instead of just getting a job that pays the bills. But like, you can also that can also be a negative thing where you keep being told like you're so special, you're so talented that you. It's almost like the curse of the gifted kid where like you want things immediately because I'm I'm a genius. So why sh- there should be no effort involved. So yeah. you kind of like you get treated so delicately, like you're such a special flower that you don't end up putting in any real hard work. And on yeah. the flip side, if someone tells you like, oh, you can't do that, right. that could shut you down. But it also give you something to prove. Where you're like, no, watch me. Yeah. So it, it like, doesn't really matter which side of the coin you get in terms of support, whether people are supportive or not supportive. It's really about how you run with it yeah but at such a young age you know you can't expect kids to be like well i'm gonna prove you wrong i know because they're six they're like, you're precious they're yeah. like i want to draw pictures of my teacher and tell them i love them yeah <laughs> like, exactly the i want answer. approval i want to be told yeah. i'm a good boy yeah and you know it's i think it's really interesting that you said that you had your own style at such a young age because i think back to that quote like learn the rules like a pro so you can break them like an artist like 
it takes a long time to develop a style. Mm. And that also goes back to the kind of 10 year rule in, in comedy, like stand up comedians, they talk about it takes 10 years to find your voice. You're uh, usually yeah, sort of um, mimicking the voice of like your your idols for mm. a long time and trying on different roles. And I think, you know, I'm do modeling and acting and like even my personal style, I, it took me probably 10 years of being an adult to figure out like what who I am. Yeah. And why do you think do you think it was just that supportive environment that allowed you to maybe find it earlier than most? Gosh, I mean, I think that has a lot to do with it. Like if I when I reflect on my life, I do think that a lot of I don't know. It's like a, I don't believe people do things alone. So I do feel like, oh, whatever I've achieved is because of the people around me. Sure. And I feel like at that age, I definitely was trying to figure out like what was my style. And and I was in a way mimicking. I was doing a lot of mimicking where I was looking at things. I was in this this observational mindset of I'm just here existing in the world trying to see all the little bits of it like I remember you know at a really young age I, I really liked looking at things really up close I was actually really fascinated with hands like I'd mm. always stare at my dad's hands or my grandma's hands because my grandma you know when you get older oh, your yeah. hands yeah, have yeah, a lot wrinkles of in definition yeah and I just thought they were so beautiful and I remember just staring at her hands even as I if this stuff makes me sound like like oh you're making that up but I was like four when she passed away so I was really young when yeah. I have some of the memories with her but I remember at, when I was young and as I was getting older that's where I was I was just looking at the world trying to replicate it on paper mm-hmm. and also just trying to push myself you know so I think in that example in third grade when I was being told use a number six to draw an ear I was like oh no, like there aren't number sixes in ears. Yeah. There's something I've already seen something else in ears. I, I can't draw it that well, but there's something else there. And I guess at that age, maybe my the style I was trying to develop was a style of like just rebellion of trying to. Sure. I don't know. Just. Well, you take what you 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 learn all these different methods and techniques, and you see things, and that's the key is observation, being very observant. Mm. But then you take a little bit of each thing you observe and yeah. that informs how you do things. And I think yeah. it's interesting you talked about your dad with the, the teacher thought he was tracing. I think tracing paper is what made me talented, quote unquote, as a young kid because my parents just bought me all this tracing paper so I would trace everything. Yeah. And you learn, you know, Hunter S. Thompson used to go and type The Great Gatsby. He yeah. would just type it out to, be like, to feel what it's like to write a perfect novel. Oh, and that's it's like, so interesting. there's something to be said for like, yeah, don't turn around and try to sell it as your own work <laughs> if you use tracing paper, but I'm a yeah, kid, so yeah. I don't think it matters. <laughs> exactly. And, I mean, yeah. that's the other thing too. It shouldn't have even mattered, but yeah. Yeah, it shouldn't have mattered. And I, I mean, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that he got shot down in that way. That's so interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. I love that. I mean, yeah, when I was a like, kid, it was tracing paper and then graph paper because I, ooh. you know, you're a designer and I was, you know, I ended up going into architectural design, but oh, graph that's... paper, I was like, so precise I, I had all these like ideas about like i would try to design like speed boats i had no clue how anything awesome. you know but like just <laughs> i would figure out scale and i would draw plans for homes and i was very meticulous and yeah. and it just sort of informed the way i saw the world creatively i think so it seems like you know and then dressmaking and fashion is similar in that you use patterns and guides and there's measurements and things you need to to abide within but then there's also this freedom of expression. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, design is interesting in that way. I mean, fashion fashion can really 
just be what it is or, or actually clothing clothing can be what it is essentially which is a utility mm-hmm. item you know humans don't have fur we're fleshy and weak and vulnerable <laughs> to the elements so <laughs> we need clothes you know yeah. unless you live in like perfect 80 degree weather you know yeah, on the beach line cloth you know <laughs> then, if you want to be modest then there you go then you can you can join the nudist colony right. um, but otherwise you're in you know right now it's what like 50 degrees 60 degrees probably 50 it's freezing it's so cold it's, for California. It's two degrees everywhere else in the world. Right yeah, we, this is, this is really, we are outside of the park, so. <laughs> yeah, we are outside. Yeah. <laughs> Exposed to the elements. Um, but, so clothing can just be that. It can be utility, but I think it's really great that, you know, humanity has gone to this point where we infuse symbolism and we can infuse meaning into our clothes. Mm-hmm. And so at its core, clothing or fashion, right? Fashion needs to be wearable. It has to stay on the body. But beyond that, yeah, it can it can have someone's it can have someone's mentality, beliefs infused into it, their their story. I mean, I I feel like art is a conversation. You know, I yeah. think that in a lot of ways, you're we are always saying something when we make something, and even if we're just making something based on another great artist, you know, we're still I think we're still in a way saying something. We're saying something like I'm practicing, I'm learning. If we are creating pieces that are just really cool to look at, I think we're still set you're still you're always saying something about yourself whenever you make anything. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I see that in the architectural traditions, you know, I was big on the like 1920s 1930s school of like utilitarianism and it's like form Mm. follows function like it it should be like the greatest good for the greatest amount of people it's this very like socialist idea it's like you know post world war one ideology but at the same time like this table right here like if this was just purely about efficiency like it would not have like beveled edges it would not have these design like you know tweaks and flares but like that decoration, that creation, that like artistic element of it mm. is informing something beyond it's saying oh, we're in a modern environment. This is like a cool coffee shop area. Mm. We're not. It's not Baroque. It's not, <laughs> you know, it's not Art Nouveau. It's not. It's, it's telling you a story about where we are the slightest bit, but it still yeah. is, you know, and that's I think that's a, going back to that sort of luxury of of the creative world is like cavemen started drawing on cave walls because they had spare time yeah and what did they, they started trying to like tell a story or like interpret their world because they were no longer completely preoccupied with survival day to day yeah you know yeah most animals don't have the luxury of like being able to ponder their world and try to figure it out through artistic expression because they're too busy getting food not being killed, yes. reproducing. Like that's what we're supposed to be doing. <laughs> essentials. But we've created a world in which we get some time to play. And I yeah. think that's where art comes in. And anything beyond pure functionality is art. I do love that you bring up play a lot because yeah, there's this book that I read. Um, I think it was called Joyful. And it was a book that was intended, I think, just you know, to inspire people in their everyday lives to yeah, find more playful moments, to find beauty in their world, understand how yeah, design influences them and and she brings up play i think a whole chapter is dedicated to playtime and i was like that is just so beautiful like the idea of even infusing playfulness into design but beyond that yeah just having that freedom to just have fun experience joy i mean i think the my fate like my most precious moments growing up I was just sitting on my floor in my bedroom doing a lot of nothing, just mm-hmm. sitting yeah. around, just like staring like off into space. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's when the epiphanies happened, you yeah. know. That's when all of a sudden I was like struck by lightning and I wanted to design something. Like, oh my God, I don't know. It's, yeah, like just time to be by yourself and not feel the pressure of yeah survival yeah and let your brain do the sort of background calculations that your conscious mind struggles with you know i was talking to my buddy we were on a hike and he was talking about he's like i've been going for walks lately and i just i, I really love them and i was like well, welcome to your 30s but like <laughs> you're such an old man now. but there is there is something about like low impact physical activity like walking or knitting or mm-hmm. riding a bike where I think you go into like an alpha brain wave state, but mm. your brain starts problem solving in the background. Yeah. So like if you're having a creative impasse or a problem at work, if you sit and like think about it, you might just get stuck. But if you go and take a walk and think about something else, oh, I got it. Like your brain yeah. just does the work for you. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. And I think it's, it's really important to play and explore, but also just like do nothing yes. and like daydream <laughs> and, you know, don't think about the problem and see what pops up and, we could get into a whole conversation about like screens and kids on iPads. Oh my and... God, that would be very appropriate for our yeah. 30s now. Yeah, <laughs> because you know we grew up that. at a time when yeah we had TV and whatnot and like Game Boys were around, but it wasn't oh, as Game ubiquitous Boy. and it was kind of like it wasn't that interesting. You know, TikTok and YouTube Kids and these things are like literally made and curated in a way that they're so engaging, they're yeah. so psychologically grabbing that. I don't know if you've ever seen a kid with an iPhone. Like they just, they're, it's, they're like crack addicts. Like, right. <laughs> and in, in a way they are because it's yeah. hitting these dopamine receptors in your brain in such a way that it's just like, it just keeps you going. And I don't know if that's great for creativity and, I, you know. I Yeah, no, I'm, I, I mean, I'm critical of it just observing me. Like if I, I feel like I've noticed that if I'm in a point where I felt really just, I'm overwhelmed, I'm burnt out, I'm stressed. You know, sometimes I... I don't know. I don't I don't have the self-awareness in those moments where I'm just my brain's just fried. I I can't think like, oh, Michelle, you know, you should you should go outside and walk or you should just do nothing, you know, because these are the things that have worked before. Because rationally, that is true. Instead, I'll just flip my phone up. I'll be like, "Okay, what's happening here? The easy fix. Instant gratification. Easy. Yeah. And did I get um, any likes? Did I get any comments? Right. Just things like that. Or, yeah. Like, did anyone message me? Am I who's, you know, what's happening? Yeah, no. So I observing myself, like when I'm in this state of just like, okay, I need to distract my brain because mm-hmm. my brain is fried and doesn't yeah. want to think about anything. Yeah. You know, you can just, you enter this black hole where you're just scrolling, scrolling, you're flipping between apps. And in that moment, it's like, if I observe how I feel afterwards, I'm like, oh, I don't feel great. No. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Kinda maybe hungover. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I just feel, yeah, I feel bad about myself. And, you know, talking about creativity and style, I do think that what you were saying about mimicking the artists, right? Mm-hmm. There's a, there's that little, that really fun little book called Steal Like an Artist. Yeah. And, and, you know, really quick read. It's just like a quick little fun thing. But I think it's interesting um, how, yeah, you observe the people you admire and it's almost like you throw it all into your brain and you're, you know, you shake your brain like a little jar and mm-hmm. you come up with new innovative ideas. It's a remix. But exactly. Yeah. And uh, and then there's also just what you grab from living, right? Observations. But when you're, on, I don't know, when you're on social media and you're scrolling, it's like you start to pick up patterns. At least that's what I do. I start to pick up patterns and trends. And there's even a part of me that's worried that this is influencing where I want to take my design. But ever since I was young... I remember one of my little mantras was like, 
do things differently. Don't, you know, try and find a different way to do things. I know I'm not reinventing the wheel with clothing, like, you know, a dress is a dress. But there are new ways you can portray that item. You know, it doesn't have to be just as is. You can you can play around with it. You can add asymmetry, etc. But uh, I don't know. There's something about social media. It gets it can be inspiring sometimes in really, really tiny doses. Small doses that are like very targeted. And, you know, I. I recently was looking at my like Instagram and like, I'm like, what am I following? Like, how did this, it just kind of happened over the past eight years, however long I've been on Instagram. And I was like, I need to like rethink who I'm following and like, what am I getting? Like, I spend a lot of time on Instagram every day, mm-hmm. despite what I want to be doing on my screen time. I'm like, feel you don't, but like you can, yourself. <laughs> you can, you can start to follow more like, I don't know, art accounts or more yeah. like inspirational accounts if you're into that or like fitness accounts or like snowboarding, yeah. things that will inspire you as opposed to just like mindless memes. And there's a place for that too. There is a place for that but too. But like a little bit more conscious like yeah. curation of yeah. your, because you know, it's this stream of information that you're getting, whether you like it or not, you're going to like, you know, I have a friend who's on a media detox right now and she's not watching any TV or any Whoa. social media. Oh my gosh. And she's like <laughs> losing her mind. Because she's, <laughs> and that's one. Of, <laughs> that, this is not a strong yeah. case for what we're <laughs> She's like so, so go she's almost manic with just like energy and creativity <laughs> and like oh, activities. Oh, that's it's awesome. Like, okay. It's a little okay. much sometimes. Oh. And like, but I think that's, you know, that's one end of the spectrum. The other end is like, you find that healthy middle ground of like, okay, Instagram is a part of life. I don't want to just like cut myself off. Right. I like knowing what my friends are up Me to. Too, and right? I like seeing yep. their stories and be like, hey, like you went hiking at the, that cool waterfall. What was that about? Or like, yeah. I saw that dress you just made. Like who's wearing that? Yeah. Um, that's that's a good thing. But That is a good thing. It's... But the balance to be struck is, is somewhere in the middle, I think. But I know what you're saying about how like it can sort of, because I recognize patterns too. I think our visual people, artistic mm-hmm. people, they, mm-hmm. they see the patterns, they see the trends. And like, you almost start to wonder, like, you go to your discovery page and it's like, they'll, they'll show you a bunch, like, all of a sudden my Instagram discovery page is showing me like all these little kids playing bass guitar oh. and like killing <laughs> it on niche. bass. And I'm like, that, that was me... I into this or did they show it to me? And then I became like, who is chicken oh. or the egg? Like, like, where did this come from? And like, what it gets <laughs> into this question of like, do I like it or do I like it? Cause I'm supposed to like it. Or do I like it? Cause it's in the zeitgeist. Yeah. And I, I see what you're saying about how it can start to like muddle with your true inspiration yeah yes that that is it i mean there's moments where i'm you know there are some things i've seen on social media where i was like oh my gosh wow i have a new appreciation for this art form like knitting like yeah i i i mean i want to i've tried knitting and i remember i uh you knit you purl right you knit a row then you purl a row if you're practicing you're new to it and i think i was knitting okay i had my first row and then i the next row was purling and i think i dropped one stitch Uh. knitters out there are gonna know anyways i dropped a (laughs) stitch and i was like i'm done with this yeah. It's ruined and this is not like crochet. Anyways, I want to get back into it because after I saw all these amazing knitters making beautiful things, there are moments where I'm like, oh, I I now, I didn't even think I would appreciate that again. I had such a traumatic experience when I dropped yeah. that one stitch. Yeah. yeah, then there's these other things, you're right, where it's like you just start to see random things on your For You page. And I started seeing a lot of macrame, right? I think that, I don't know, maybe that was the natural progression after knitting. I saw a lot of macrame projects and I was like, well, now I want to learn how to macrame. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of a positive thing, but it is interesting that that was not 
part of my interest. Like you didn't seek that out. I did. This algorithm was like you probably, and you're like, you're right. I do. The like, algorithm. That's a little scary. Yeah. I know, it's <laughs> it's so, like it's part like, of me is like, wow, it's really intelligent. Like it's giving me something that I probably would have liked anyways. But then it's like, wait a minute, I want to be in control of what I like. Right. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. And and yeah, what would I have done without? But I guess I mean I think we're all we're always products of like the people before us and the people sure. around us. But I guess that it's just like we have to hit a point where. Yeah, thoughtful consumption. <laughs> I sound yeah. so old. Anyways, thoughtful consumption. <laughs> <laughs> Conscious consumerism. <laughs> yes. Um, oh my, it's so hard to be ethical. It's hard to do any consumer. You can't. It's hard to be an ethical consumer's period. Anyway, so. I'd say it's even, impossible. We'll even get into <laughs> yeah. that. That's we should be whole... on the beach naked if you want to be like, you know. <laughs> right, right, right. Where's your, your garden, your herb garden? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyways, where was I? <laughs> um, just like conscious consumerism and like oh. kind of this diet of media. The like, diet. Oh, that's. I you love are that. what you ingest. And you like we're really ingesting are. content all the time. Right. And I mean, it's interesting that your friend is going a little wild because <laughs> <laughs> she's not consuming anything. She's not going to listen to this because she's not consuming anything. So <laughs> oh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's six months. Yeah. Hey. Um, but uh, um, uh oh. Oh my the modern world just keeps distracting me. Right. This is a really yeah. this is Great a point perfect time. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's poetic. Um, yeah. but so thoughtful, yeah, thoughtful consumption of what we're what we're seeing online. I think it's it's really just build like trying to build this this self awareness of like, okay, I have to stop. And sometimes if you don't have that, you know, now our phones have that little feature where it's yeah. like you been consuming I'm too scared much to turn of that this. on. I don't even want to know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know. Ignorance is bliss. Yeah. I've turned mine on and I'm just I'm so yeah, everyone's like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's never good. Yeah. Even if you think you're being thoughtful, it's it just still just makes you feel bad. Um but there's a way for it to, you know, you can like stop you. But whatever it is, if I think it's just realizing like there's a point where this has diminishing returns, you know. Totally. I actually think it's really cool that I was inspired to look into knitting and macrame again. But I think if I were, if I, let's say I had that moment and I just kept scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, I think I'd eventually, yeah, it would just get really muddy. Like there'd just be all the, like a million different interests flooding my brain all at once. Mm -hmm. I might even forget that I was interested in macrame. (laughs) I don't know. Um, And at that point, did I get anything from this experience of opening my phone and looking at my social media account? So yeah, it's this idea of like, there's a perfect balance, like a back to this balance point where like, yes, a table should be functional. It should be right. able to sit around it and put things on it. But like, it should also be beautiful. But like, if you get into a point where it's like, well, this table's made of solid, like Swarovski, Swarovski crystals or whatever. <laughs> yes. And like, yeah. there comes a point where it's like, it's not worth it. It's diminishing yeah. returns in terms of like how much decoration. So you, and it's the same with like media and, and content where it's like, there's a point where it's good for you and you're getting inspired, you're getting exposed to new things that you maybe wouldn't have seen before. But then there's a point where it's like you're getting inundated and you get this paralysis by analysis where it's just like there's too much information. You can't yeah. dissect it. You can't process it. It's impossible to even utilize one shred of it because you're just drowning in it. Yeah. And I yeah. think, I don't know, this whole idea in my head has been coming up as I was driving out here. But like where's the sweet spot of like functionality and like playfulness and artistic expression and so like when it comes to some a piece you're making you know Mm. someone comes to you with a budget and like you have these limitations of like Mm -hmm. what materials you can use because you can't just go wild and like because you have to you have to give the client (laughs) what they want within the bounds of the budget and i think that 
if you kind of put yourself on like a media budget, you know what's worth it and what's not. And what or there's a trade-off. Like if I want to use silk, maybe the stitching can't be as intricate because, you know, there's, yeah. there's a trade-off. Yeah. Right? Oh, exactly. Oh, my gosh. Yes. That's I don't even have to explain anything because that is exactly <laughs> how it goes. Yeah. I you know, you get the budget, you get the boundaries, the parameters, and you have to figure out, well, how do I yeah, how do I achieve what the client wants within these parameters and i mean yeah there's something there is something useful to having limits and boundaries you know mm -hmm. i think it does force you to be creative oh absolutely what, yeah with what yeah. you're given um yeah it'd be interesting to yeah draw a parallel between just like the boundaries and balance in other things like within social media consumption yeah. also and just yeah boundaries in general i think people are trying to figure out like what's their budget for Instagram or TikTok and we mm -hmm. don't know what a healthy budget is right now like that is interesting we, yeah. like when you're given a budget on a dress you know what your budget is like yeah. so you know what what bounds you have to function and I think like you said creativity is well served by by boundaries like Jack White the guy from the White Stripes he plays really old guitars and like shitty guitars oh, I love that because it oh makes gosh. him be more creative with how he plays them because yes. if you have infinite choice and you have the best guitars in the world like you're not gonna do anything interesting because it's yeah. you're like I think limits are the key to creativity and creation. Yeah, yeah. And I it's so funny you brought up the white stripes. Literally just last night, my friend and I, I don't know, we tapped into the recesses of our mind, yeah. our angsty teen <laughs> yeah. years, circa 2009. Uh, just, you know, 2006 to 2000. Anyways, yeah, we were talking about the strokes and, 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 oh, yeah. and just all the, yeah, and the white stripes. Anyways, okay, but budget uh, a life budget this is gonna make me sound like a neurotic person but i do think about um, We're all neurotic. don't worry about it <laughs> okay. that is the flavor yeah. That is, yeah that's <laughs> um spice of life but i i there was a point where i was trying to figure out like i'm not i'm not super into efficiency so i want to just say that right now you make dress you make fancy dresses so. i make fancy dresses yeah. so it takes a lot of time it is not efficient yeah. <laughs> but i am you know i am still curious about well like where is my life like, where am I spending my life? So I remember one day I was like, I'm going to calculate just how my hours look. You get 24 hours in a day. You mm -hmm. sleep, what, hopefully eight hours-ish, seven, yeah. eight. So you have about, you have about like 16 hours left, right? right? So that's, that's like, that's your budget. But those 16 hours can't just be, you know, they're going to be split up into different things like eating and just like having, you know, enjoying yourself, mm -hmm. work. And I think. I was thinking to myself, well, outside of work and everything and all the other stuff I need to do, I probably have about, I could have between four to six hours left just to like, just for me. Yeah. So what can I do with those hours? And I think, you know, those hours could potentially be spent like that. They could be spent relaxing and, and relaxing so that the next day you have more energy to do something or they could be spent learning something new or mm -hmm. they could be yeah. right revisiting an old, like an old love of yours like oh i used to love doing this kind of thing when i was a kid maybe every every night take it take just like 30 minutes to explore that and you might be surprised when those 30 minutes turn into four hours you know you get lost into that yeah and that focus state the flow the flow state yeah. i was like focus state is not right flow close. state yeah, same thing. so close it yeah starts with an F. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so i it, I think everyone's would everyone's would look different. So everyone's little day budget would look different. But I think if we start with the idea of like, okay, let me subtract how much sleep I'm getting. Mm -hmm. Definitely get a healthy amount of sleep. Don't let your employer lie, tell you otherwise. Yeah. Okay, if you're part of a union, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, make sure you're getting all your sleep and um, you have to eat. You have to have exercise. To mm -hmm. You have to if you have you know a family to take care of. Yeah, you're only left with a certain amount of hours. And then again, if you overanalyze it, you get to this trap of like. 
I need to be efficient. I need to right. use my time. I need yeah, to be, that's. But then it's like, mm. well, I also want to enjoy my time, so I want to watch like the TikTok videos for an hour. Like, yeah. So you start like again. It goes back to the idea of budgeting. Like, what's healthy? And you know, I'm I'm turning 35 tomorrow, oh, and like yes, that's not old by any stretch. No. And I'm still youthful, and I feel great. But like, I'm not like it's not that I like I'm a kid. I have my whole life ahead of me. It's like I'm. It's you know, based on the average age of a man, like I'm almost middle aged and it's starting to kind of fuck with my head where it's no, like, don't let it. No. I know. I, and again, it's the same idea of like, <laughs> I want to use my time, but I also want to enjoy my time. And yeah. it's that balance is so hard to strike where it's only you can know if you're being lazy, if you're wasting your time. If mm. like, you know, some days I go to the gym a lot and like, but some days I really don't want to go and I don't think I should go because I just need to recover. Yeah. But only I can know if it's like, it's good for me to have a, just a zero day, a recovery day, or if I'm just leaning into the fact that like no one knows and I can convince and be like, well, I need, I need to recover. Yeah. But like yeah. only you can know when you, you feel like you're at your best stride. And I think yeah. that's, you know, we're all unique and you got to just be true to you. Yeah. Because it's, you know, you read about Tim Ferriss and like the four hour work week and like, Jeez. you know, yeah, like Jeff how? Bezos has every, <laughs> Elon Musk has every five minutes of his day scheduled. And like, oh my God. That's... Yeah, you can try to apply that to your life, Oof. but that's not your life. Right. So it's this weird, again, experimentation of trying on different things, taking what you like and then using it to your best advantage. Right, right. Yeah. And, and also it's like, like the people you're describing. Well, I don't know Tim Ferriss's whole story, but I think it's it'd be really hard for an average person to achieve a four hour work week. Yeah. Also, <laughs> also that's too then you have too much time on your hands. Yeah, like, I know. Then I'm during like, the pandemic, I wasn't working a lot, and like I was bored out of my fucking mind. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> and it was not healthy for me. <laughs> I know. And then we have your friend. I really want to know. I want to. I want an update on. This. I'll tell you, <laughs> Julia, if you're listening, we need to know how this went six months from now. <laughs> when you're out of it yeah but then you have these guys who are like just these billionaires oh my gosh i don't i won't even get into that yeah, yeah. but they did have a lot of help from sure, their most very them, wealthy yeah. parents yeah. very wealthy and i don't know like i just i wouldn't even envy that the five minutes every five minutes i would go in i would go insane i'd be like oh right. my god i feel so bad because i know i would just every i think i would i would go through 20 of those little five minute little increments and i'd be i'd miss every to do thing and yeah. i would just end up feeling horrible about yeah. myself by the end of the day i'm like well i definitely failed today so yeah i'm not about like crazy efficiency because i do think it isn't easy for most people i know it's not easy for me i think if it if it works for some people then i mean that's i'm jealous but yeah yeah <laughs> but uh but also not it just doesn't it doesn't suit me and i when i've tried to do it i end up just feeling really guilty and ashamed like oh my gosh michelle like your whole to-do list. Like, why did you only do three things when you had 20 things on it? Because you're, it's just incongruous with you, you know? Like, yeah. you're trying to adapt a schedule that's someone else's. Yeah. And that goes back to the personal style. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, going through your website and your Instagram and the work you've done with Angel, who recommended you for the podcast oh, so Angel. graciously. She's amazing. We love you. Um, we love you, Angel. <laughs> but you have a very definitive style that I think is unique but it's not like crazy out there it's mm -hmm. you know fits within some, the bounds of some things I've seen but it's very you and it's it's consistent and I think that's really beautiful because a lot of times you see people just bouncing around like trying this didn't work try that try that try yeah. that and then I think I, would, I was wondering if you could just like in a sentence or two define your style in a sentence or two oh wow define my style oh 
Because I have some ideas, but I want to hear uh, your mouth. I know. I love hearing other people's ideas because I am not a good advocate for myself. I don't... (laughs) I'll I'll have my friends talk about what they were telling their friends. And I'm like, wow, I just need to carry you around with me. I think I would say it's... My style embraces imperfection. I really... Mm. But in a way that I feel is not... It's like perfect for me. And... I think I'd have to do a whole psychological analysis of myself, like sit with myself for a whole week or a month and really try and analyze that. But, you know, growing up when I was drawing and I was trying to, I was actually trying to create photorealistic portraits. Same. It's hard. It's so hard. It's so hard. And I never really achieved <laughs> Me it. Me either. I gave up. <laughs> I got, I was doing pretty good, but they weren't photorealistic. No. I remember a teacher was like, it's not photorealistic. I was like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why we have photos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no. But um, uh, I was trying to, I don't know, I was really interested in portraits and trying to, you know, observe all the beautiful lines and, and, uh, oh. It's a flagpole or something. Oh, don't worry about flagpole. it. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I got really into that. And I remember I got also very burnt out on it. I got, I was just tired. I was like, I don't, I don't know. I don't like doing this anymore. And mm-hmm. I stopped drawing for a whole year, which in kid years, cause I would think I was in middle school. It's a I lifetime. That is a long time. Yeah. You don't understand time yet. So you're just like, what? Like, that's just like my whole life. So I stopped drawing for a really long time after that. And I think what came after that period, I entered into high school. I started to just like draw little doodles and things. People used to know me because I had a yellow backpack and I would draw. Yeah. I had a marker. Like I buy all these fine tip markers that I draw all over my backpack. And they were not at all. They were cartoons, you know, just sure. little scribbles. Illustrations. Yeah. Yeah. It was almost like, I don't know. I guess I had my own little art periods where I went from realism to like, oh, my God, I can't stand this anymore to like cartoons and silly things and drawing dresses and, mm-hmm, and designs mm-hmm. at that point. And then when I started taking art classes again, I was in AP Studio Art in high school. Yeah, I don't know. My work started to get really weird and surreal. Yeah, Yeah, it got really weird. I mean, not super surreal, but it was a little strange. It was definitely not what I had done before. But I was infusing it with some of that realism that I had learned. And I think the realism gave me, it gave me, like, my eye. I was more observant Mm -hmm. because of the real, like, the realism. But I was also sick of just drawing what I saw so I think my rebellion against that was to make things a little more dreamy and strange yeah and I think I'm having an epiphany while we're doing this podcast I think that influenced my dresses and there was this yeah there's this desire to do something that is intricate and thoughtful yet it's just not quite perfect there's something still organic and natural about it and I think you know all of us I don't know. I, I don't connect very well with like very arc, like very like pa- like geometric pieces. Like mm-hmm. when I see a very geometric piece, like I might wear something that's very like structured and and minimal, but me creating something like that, I I just don't feel like a calling to do that. I really I love to make my pieces. I love to then destroy them. I love to paint them. I love to kind of see them emerge before me. Sometimes my my client work doesn't always reflect that. I always still I still try my best to get a little bit of my style in there, yeah. but And you're appeasing a client. And I'm but I think it's so client. beautiful what you're saying because I worked so hard towards photorealism because I think it's it's quantitative. It's like something you can put a metric on. Yeah. Like if I achieve photorealism, someone says, "Whoa, is that a drawing or a photograph?" I I won. I yeah. I I figured it out. Whereas like I struggled so much with like abstract composition and impression, just anything outside of hyperrealism because it's like 
I don't know if it's good or not. Like, you know, it's like, yeah. there's no way to put a, a number value on it or score it. And, and then eventually you just kind of let go of that. Like you did like that idea of perfectionism and you just play and you destroy and you <laughs> let things be imperfect. And in that way, find a beauty to them. And I think your, you know, your designs are like to have this organic elegance to them. That's very like to use an architectural term, like very art nouveau, like mm, very, um, like you use like natural elements, you know, branches or leaves or things that resemble things from nature. But at the same time, you know, it's not rectilinear. It's not perfectly strict, modern, contemporary lines. But like nature is kind of perfect. Yeah. You know, like the golden ratio is everywhere in yeah. nature. And like there is a balance to it that though it may look chaotic or disorganized, like it's probably more organized than you could even perceive right i right right yeah. like i mean not even to get into just how incredible biology and science like just people's attempts to understand yeah how, the rules that govern our lives like oh my god yeah like i don't know what the heck i don't know what made that tree but <laughs> well it's it's, it's <laughs> but that tree is there and it's beautiful and yeah. it kind of comes down to efficiency like the design and the way a tree forms is like gives it the best chance of survival like yeah. you know organisms evolve evolution is a way for them to better their chances of propagating their genes and like there's almost there's nothing extra there's no nothing decorative about the human body or the body of a plant or anything it's all functional it's all efficient or else it gets excised you know yeah. vestigial organs and things we don't use anymore they get eliminated over time yeah. but there's beauty in that which so it's like it's almost saying that like true perfection true efficiency is like the most beautiful yeah you know? oh, that's interesting Which wow upends everything we've been talking about i know where, where? yeah <laughs> so what point we got we? nowhere <laughs> so we went all the way back yeah. and now i'm going to a five minute yeah. so I said, no. Yeah. no um i i <laughs> um, i think maybe oh gosh i i mean there's something it's interesting. Like, I, I don't know how I feel about minimalism. I think like, again, I think everything there's balance, right? Like, cause I love my chaos, but I also understand having like having the essentials in your life because mm -hmm. sometimes too much chaos will just create all this confusion and, and just, you know, you aren't going to know what to focus on. Uh, but yeah. Um, we don't present chaotically. I mean, you, people think of like the crazy artists and they, they show up with, a jacket they've painted on and crazy sunglasses and like you know like there's like that that sort of trope of the creative but you are minimal you know you're stylish am, but minimal yeah, yeah, and <laughs> i think that's how i try to be as well because it's it takes like the pressure out of trying to be creative in every decision you make like mm -hmm. i think my like personal wardrobe style i like to define it as like timeless minimalism with like a hint of ruggedness so it gets into my like outdoorsy side but it's like i like to wear things that you could wear it in any decade yeah. and you'd like wouldn't be thought of as a time traveler because <laughs> it just makes it easy. And then like the rest of my day is freed up. So there's like yeah. the simplicity to it. Yeah. yeah. But and like, it, you know, you like your chaos, but your designs are very subdued and mm, they made, yeah. you know, at first glance, but that's a tangle of branches. But it's like there's a there's an order to it. And it's it's yeah. not it's not chaos for chaos's sake. You know, there is. Yeah, no, it's it's true. There is like um, it's interesting because I, I do actually. <laughs> I describe a lot of many parts of my life as organized chaos. Yeah. And I do think that that would be another way I might describe my pieces is there is the intention to make something that it, it could have gone in that direction. It could have gone in that direction where it's like, I don't know what my, my eye doesn't know what to focus on that. Right. Right. 
and um which is like unhealthy that's like that scattered yeah yeah like because i want i want people to i don't know it's like when you create something i think you almost want people to be taken out of themselves for a moment right like you know we're we go through the world we're very self-focused and you almost for just one moment even just like take them out of that they're looking at your piece and now they're being taken on a journey and so with me you know my medium is typically making clothes pieces and i don't I try my best, you know, who knows if I always achieve it, right? Mm. But I always try my best to create something where I feel like my eye doesn't immediately just shoot towards it. Like I want to know that I can, I'm looking at it as an entire thing. And I also want to know that once it's on somebody, I'm looking at them and the piece as one, not, I don't want to be too focused on my piece actually. Like I want the, the wear and the piece to sort of come alive together. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, totally. Is yeah. that sort of, um, kind of transparent effect where like oh, are you yeah. wearing the dress or is the dress wearing you kind yeah. of, and like also what you're talking about the way your eye travels around something it's like this journey this narrative it's not just a singular perspective of like you know if we all just wore black boxes it's like okay <laughs> but that has its own story to tell and I think that's a really cool thing about the way you interpret fashion as an artistic medium you mm. know I like you experience experimented with every medium as a child and then I moved into architectural design I was working in theme park design and it was a, wow you know we used everything you could find at Home Depot in the in the recycling bin like just to create I love Home Depot I fucking love Home Depot <laughs> it's like a happy place um, but it's using everything in this sort of holistic way to create whatever you want whatever story you need to tell mm. and Angel has actually I've been doing a lot of creative inspiration stuff and doing shoots with Angel and She's really big on like, she's like, it's not just fashion. It's not just modeling. This is like art. We are evoking an emotion. We are creating, we're telling a story. We're building a narrative. And I think, you know, if you go to your Instagram page, like it's not just a dress on a white background, you know, a model, like e-com style. It's like, it's it's this whole fairy tale. Yeah. And I'm learning more and more that like, it's always, I've always kind of told this story to myself that like, oh, modeling it's creative and I get to work with creative people, photographers and, you know, set designers. And I, I get my creative touches, but then I go home and I, I'm not like tapped out. Like I can mm. paint and draw and write and it's, it's separate, but really it's like the most comprehensively artistic medium that I can think of because you're using like your physical body yeah. and your entire being and the entire set, you know, it's like a movie. Like it's it, all yeah. these pieces come together, the sound, the words that are being spoken, the, the set dressing, the lighting, everything is becoming one and i think your pieces and your the way you go about your work blurs that line between like is this fashion is this function is this a fairy tale and i I think that's beautiful oh wow thank you and i do want to say modeling is it's really you know it's something that i've even tried to play around with with my own pieces and it's so hard it is so difficult to you know because yeah, knowing how to pose your own form, which is true, exactly what you said. It's just like this, there is something really, really beautiful about treating yourself as the medium mm-hmm. and knowing how you want other people to feel based on like the expression you give, the way you like turn your body. Like, do you want to portray strength? Do you want to portray something soft and vulnerable? And even beyond that, you know, and it's it's true that like, you know, it takes so many different elements to come together to create something that in itself, I don't know, it's like, 
yeah, what you were saying about like the sets and the scripts and everything that comes together to create one piece and how the lines have to be like if it's done really well, people aren't even going to know. Like they aren't yeah. even going to think about those things. Yeah, you don't even know there's a soundtrack playing because you're right. just lost in it. You're lost in it. Um, gosh, there is there is a saying, and <laughs> I don't know where the saying originally. I don't know where it originally came from, but I remember in a Futurama episode. Okay. <laughs> And it was one of my favorite episodes where um, there's like this quote unquote like godlike being, right? He's part of the universe. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, one of the things that this godlike being says is if you do things right, people won't think you've done anything at all. Like, yeah, I should find the original. Maybe the writers came up with that. But I just thought that was such an interesting quote because it's true. It's like, again, like getting like people will be lost in whatever you're creating depending on how well the elements blend together, you know, how much intention was put yeah. behind it. Good work is invisible. It is. Yeah. yeah. Like people aren't going to fully appreciate it. You know, like you see your favorite TV show and now I think people are better about like, Oh, I love the, I love the actors, the costumes. Oh my gosh. The scripts, the conversations are great. Mm -hmm. I think people now are a lot better about that. But before I think people were just getting lost in the stories, which I think was the intention. Totally yeah. get what you're saying. I mean, there's a book I've brought up uh, several times on this podcast. I think it's called, the Invisibles, and it's about oh. like these unsung heroes of different professions, like the guitar tech for the Rolling Stones. Like, if he does his job well and tunes his guitars correctly, which is a hugely important job, right. no one notices. Right. No one walks away from the concert like, man, that guy killed it with the guitar <laughs> tuning. But if he does his <laughs> job should, poorly, though. everyone's like, well, Keith Richards' guitar was like didn't sound right tonight. Yeah. So if he doesn't do his job well, everyone notices. Yeah. And it's like, those little jobs where it's like, yeah, that invisible accolade the invisible accolades or the invisible validation is like it's almost more interesting than like the like look at me look how good i did you know don't yeah. i get a gold star yeah. um and yeah it, you know when watching a movie like i've studied i've studied like you know the three-act structure and all these things and like Ooh. if i sit and think about a movie i should know what's coming next but like right. a good story i'm like wow they pulled that on me i didn't even see it coming because i'm lost in it i'm not thinking about or i don't notice the the, the score because it's just mm -hmm helping the emotion move along yes. as opposed to me being like, well, that's an ominous tone. So that means something scary is about yeah. to happen. You know, <laughs> I know we're all critics now. So we're analyzing everything we Absolutely. see. And it, it is a skill. If something can just take us out of that. Um, you know, I mean, I want to get lost in whatever totally. I'm consuming, whatever art I'm seeing. And that's really funny. Yeah. The ominous music. Oh, yeah. it just cute. Oh. <laughs> oh, the villain's cute. about to rear his ugly head. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We should not be able to do that. <laughs> And it, it's the same, the same thing goes for modeling because, you know, people have this idea of models as like supermodels, you know, they're like Cindy Crawford. That's like true models. Like you don't know who we are. Like we mm -hmm. are, you know, we are mannequins with a heartbeat and we're not, if you see a mo model's face in a magazine, it's not, we're not selling Gigi Hadid. She's selling whatever she's wearing. Yeah. And so good modeling is not about, it's not don't draw attention to yourself. It's about how to showcase whatever product you're wearing or is being sold through the ad. And I've done a lot of so much stuff in, in e-com and I've done fit modeling. So it's basically being a human mannequin for yeah. the designers where I've learned to appreciate all the little features and all the little intricacies of a product. And then so when I get in front of the camera and they're like, oh, yeah, we need to do a, a you know, an insert of that zipper. Like I know how to turn my body to yeah. show not so i look the best yeah. like well, look at that guy's butt like no, it's, <laughs> no look at look how those pants fit him yeah. look how and it's not it's, so it's a good model it's like 
get out of the way and help you know show the product like that's keith richard's guitar and i'm yeah. the, the tuner yeah so it's not about me which i like because i don't need an ego any bigger than it already is <laughs> <laughs> a healthy a balance of confidence yeah. too yeah yeah um i mean i think modeling is also storytelling i mean i think a lot of creatives are are all that you know we come together and we tell stories and i think that you know great modeling great acting you know Great guitar too. What you are part of this story. You're you're contributing to mm-hmm. sharing something with the world, like you know, a collective conversation. I know I mentioned that I do feel like art is a conversation. And again, I I yeah, like what are we saying, right? Yeah. Um, and how are people responding to it? Yeah, and, yeah. Are they responding the way we want them to? And that's the tricky part. Is like once you give it away, once you sell your dress and deliver it to the buyer. It's no longer yours. You can't tell the person, oh, it's supposed to evoke emotion of like, it's supposed to be ethereal and whimsical. Like, (laughs) like, you can't tell the the viewer in a museum what to think about your painting. It's up to them. Yeah. And that's super vulnerable. Yes. That that process of like giving it away and saying like, I hope you get it. But if you don't, that's cool too. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I mean, I am. I also, there's this part of me that's just interested in, um, oh, let me know if we should, should we move elsewhere or? Yeah. We'll power through it for now. <laughs> this is a <laughs> makes things interesting. Yeah, yeah. There's, you yeah. never know what's going to come next. <laughs> I mean, as we're winding down and getting edged out by this construction site. Um, Damn, I know. That's okay. <laughs> the big finale. I'll take out the the background noise, but I'm curious if you have any like last imparting words of wisdom for our Ooh. listeners, and it could be anything from, you know hunkering down and working hard for 30 years or just your Mm, personal style mm. or what you've learned along the way? I think I'd say something that really helped me in my darkest hours (laughs) was um, just being more forgiving towards myself. Uh, And what I mean by that is I think a lot of us have really high expectations. Like we, we have these, sometimes we have these like almost unachievable expectations of us, or at least they're unachievable in the amount of time we hope they take. So going back right. to full circle, things don't happen overnight, but we're really hard on ourselves. Um, and we have these crazy expectations and when we can't live up to them in the amount of time we think we should, you know, we think there's something wrong with us. And I, I don't know. I, as I've gotten older, I've, um, I've just, I've learned to be more oh forgiving. God. I've learned to be more forgiving of myself and, yeah. You know, just sort of tell myself that, yeah, you're doing the best you can with what you have. And, you know, just because you haven't hit all the marks you wanted by the age of 25, like, who does? It's, it's, come on, yeah. Um, those were my crazy expectations. I was Same. Like, Everything's going to be set by 25. Yeah, 10 years later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, we are works in progress and that is a okay. Yeah. Um, I think that's beautiful. You're, you're creating a healthy budget to bring it back again. Like, this healthy expectation for yourself that like, otherwise you're going to burn out and you're not going to achieve it. And it's you're not going to last. Yeah. You know, you have to be forgiving. There's going to be this gap between your expectations for yourself and your skills. And if you don't allow yourself to catch up to where you see yourself, you never will. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I think that was well said. Aww. I Yay, really appreciate you sitting you. with me. <laughs> Thanks to Angel again. Hi Angel. Oh, we love you. Um, again. <laughs> but yeah, I'm excited to see where your career goes. I think exciting things are happening. Thank you. This was lovely, and we'll talk again for sure. Bye, kids. Bye.